Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open them with me to the book of Acts once again. Acts chapter 3. If you forgot your Bible, there are Bibles available on the back table. Uh, If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, grab one of those and follow along. There's also the passage printed in your bulletin. Every week I encourage you to follow along, to have your Bibles your bulletins, your iPhones, your iPads in your lap. Because though I stand above you this morning, at least spatially, I never stand higher than God's Word. And I want God's people to be hearing His Word as it's being proclaimed and examining His Word as it's being proclaimed. For this is not uh, Nate Hitchcock's thoughts on Acts 3. Uh, This is to be God's message to His church this morning, and I pray to that end. For those visiting, we're glad again that you're here with us. Several weeks ago, we began studying this book, uh, the book of Acts. Um, We've covered two chapters in four weeks, which I think is a pretty good pace, Uh, and so we'll continue on that pace. Today, we take a rather large chunk of this early history of the Christian church and uh, read in its entirety the whole chapter, uh, chapter 3. And so listen as I read uh, God's Word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, they ran together together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham... The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and the God of our fathers glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when He had decided to release Him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And His name... By faith in His name, this has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus 
has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to what that prophet shall, who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to think for a moment uh, about headlines. Headlines. You know, what are headlines for? We're getting away from headlines a little bit as we get away from the printed uh, newspaper, but even on the internet, there are headlines that are intended to, to grab your attention, to grip you, to prod you, to go deeper. What does that mean? What happened? What is that for? I went hunting uh, for the most famous headlines, and of course, there are all kinds of opinions about what the most famous headlines of the last hundred years or so have been, but I found one list with, with these five headlines. The first one, Diana is dead. With the sub-headline, you know, there's always a big headline and then a sub-headline, princess and boyfriend killed in Paris car crash. That was number one. Number two, King Elvis dead. He was 42 and alone. Number three, Hitler, dead. Number four, famous headline, Beatle John Lennon, slain. Shot down outside of a New York apartment. And then number five, on this list anyway, assassin kills Kennedy. Lyndon Johnson, sworn in. I thought that list was particularly interesting because there's obviously a trend in that list. Those headlines weren't the same as I looked through these various lists of the 10, 20, whatever top headlines in our world. It wasn't uniform, but a lot of these were included in every list that I looked, that I looked at. Why do I bring up the idea of, of headlines? Well, because we have a headline of our own this morning. Dr. Luke gives us a headline of our own this morning. You see, this is a miracle. 
Obviously, this story, at least the first half of this story, chapter 3, is a miracle. And the miracles in the book of Acts are headlines. They are God's headlines to grab people's attention, to prod them to go deeper, to find out how and why has this happened. And so it's kind of fun to think about this event happening in real time, in real space, in real history, and what would be the headline of the Jerusalem Gazette the next morning. I kind of wish that I could have been there. I guess they did, you know, newspapers on scrolls or something like that. That's what they do in cartoons anyway. I wish I could have seen the face of the authorities who put Jesus to death when they caught wind of what was beginning to stir in their city. Because I think the headline of the Jerusalem Gazette is this. Well-known beggar healed. With the subtitle, Maybe Jesus Still Is Alive. Wouldn't that be neat? See, as we walk through this story this morning, there's a lot of different ways we could go about it. But I want us to seek to figure out why it's here and why Luke included this and what it has to speak to us today. And so, I boiled it down to two beautiful encouragements that guide us as we walk through this story. Two things I want you to remember be encouraged by as you walk from this place. And the first one is this. All who are broken, fix your eyes on Jesus. All who are broken, fix your eyes on Jesus. See, our story this morning is half event. It's half sermon. And yet... As I began to study this passage, as we continue to walk through the book of Acts passage by passage, I really don't think that they can be separated. They belong together. They belong together because just like Pentecost, this supernatural, crazy, unbelievable event and sight is really just a prelude for the message that is about to come. In other words, this is more than just a marvel. This is a sign. Its purpose is to point to a reality. And even more than that, its purpose is to point to a person. And so ultimately, this story, as Peter reminds us and leads us to that place, this story is not about the beggar. It's not about Peter. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so let me recap the story and walk us through it. At the center of our story are Peter and John, familiar figures to us. Remember, these were two of the men who were part of Jesus' inner circle. These are two disciples of Jesus. The, the fact that they were part of the inner circle made them natural leaders for the church. Peter especially had received words directly from Jesus in regards to his leadership in the church. And these two men are headed into the city. They're headed specifically to the temple for afternoon prayers. Now the Jews held three stated prayer meetings every day. One was early in the morning. One was in the afternoon about 3 p.m., which is this prayer meeting that they are headed to. And one that was around sunset. 
Now, we don't know if Peter and John were going there to pray themselves, or maybe they were just headed there because they knew that everyone else was headed there. We don't know. It certainly would not have been, as you think about this passage, as you understand it, because I want you to understand what's going on, it certainly wouldn't have been uncharacteristic for them to go to the temple to pray. Right? We just read last week at the end of chapter 2 that the people devoted themselves to the prayers that the early Christians were still going to the temple in some respects to worship. They didn't just immediately shed all of the practices that had been part of their life and part of their family's lives for generations upon generations. No, that gradually happens. And after all, Jesus was not a different God than the God that was revealed in the Old Testament. No, Jesus just brought a fullness and an intimacy to the God that they had worshipped that they had never known before. And so maybe they're going to the temple to pray, maybe they're just going to gather because they know other people are there. Whatever the case, they encounter a man along the way. It's interesting that this man is not named. We don't need to know his name. It's not about the beggar. So he's not named, but he is known. Right? He is known. In verse 10, he's easily recognized by everyone. They knew who he was. He was a fixture in the city at the gate called Beautiful. Not only that, but Dr. Luke, you can almost hear the medical doctor in him. He's sure to tell us that this is no sloth, this is no con artist sitting by the gate, but this is a man who has been lame from birth. Right? This is not a choice that he has made. This is a necessity that he is experiencing. And so for who knows how long he had been carried to the gate by his friends to survive by the generosity of the worshipers that came each day three times a day. And today, the lame beggar is about to experience an extraordinary, extravagant generosity It's more than he could even ask or imagine. God has always wanted his people to be concerned about the poor, about the needy. And Jesus says that they always will be with us until he returns to make all things right. And so as you think about this story, as you try to put it into your common, as you try to put it into your life and your context, at least here in Seattle, a scenario like this isn't that all isn't all that uncommon. I mean, just the other day, I pulled up to a stoplight getting off the interstate on 164th, and I looked over to my left, and there was a man who was drawing my attention to a collection of rocks, about 30 rocks or so that he had spread out on the sidewalk, and I imagined they were for my purchase if I so desired. And I politely nodded, no thank you, and then looked away. What I remember about that, and that just happened just a couple weeks ago or a week ago, is that when I looked away from him, I never looked back at him. Now maybe I was maybe I was too busy, maybe I was on my phone, maybe I was too uncomfortable, maybe probably I lacked compassion to really engage this man. 
Maybe you can relate. I suspect there were many people, many worshipers that came, focused on the prayers, focused on worshiping God. The beggar had become a fixture. Many dropped coins in his lap without saying a word, probably. Without even looking at him. Without even acknowledging that he was a human. And so it's striking to me as I look at this passage, as I think about my own experience, it's striking to me what Peter and John do. They say, look at us. Look at us. No doubt this man had been helped for many years, but Peter's call to him, no doubt, astonished him. Was it Peter's compassion for the image bearer of God that sat before him? Maybe. Was it that this man really needed to concentrate? He really needed to understand where the gift that he was about to receive was coming from? Quite possibly. Maybe it was a combination of the two, but whatever the answer, Peter gives to the man not what he asked for, but what he needed. And what no one, what absolutely no one could give him except for Jesus himself. He says, rise up and walk. And then he does something which is, again, striking. He doesn't just zap this man from afar through the words of Jesus, through the mighty name of Jesus. But what does he do? He touches the man almost as if the tenderness and compassion of Christ is flowing through Peter. And he grabs the man. And you can almost imagine the tension in the air at the temple where for a split second in this busy, high-traffic area, as Peter just announced to this man, rise up and walk to this well-known cripple. And now in slow motion, is he going to get up? Is that really going to work? Or is Peter and John, these well-known followers of Jesus of Nazareth, are they going to be frauds? Oh, what a scene. But now Peter grabs him by the right hand and in a matter of seconds, this beggar goes to a worshiper. He goes from a, a crippled pile of humanity to a leaping gazelle of worship and praise to God. And how? Because of the name of Jesus. Because of the name of Jesus. The Jesus who is reigning and ruling at God's right hand. The Jesus whose power and presence is with Peter, is with John. By His Spirit. See, this account isn't just about the beggar's miraculous restoration. This isn't just about Peter's showing compassion. This is about Jesus. And that's Peter's point. This is a setup. This is an occasion to extol Jesus. And so Peter begins to make this point. We didn't do this. Y'all are looking at us like we are something special, but we didn't do this. Don't gaze at us. I know I told that man to look at me, but don't gaze at us. Look at Jesus. 
Fix your eyes on Him. Fix the eyes of faith, the eyes of your heart on Him. You see, Peter wasn't interested in making a name for himself. We know that. Peter was on a mission. He was out to show that the age of the Messiah has come, that He is still here, that His kingdom is still on the move. In fact, the very words that Luke uses, that word leaping, Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 35, he talks about this age and he says, Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. You see, to those early Jews, to those who knew the Old Testament Scriptures, to those who knew Isaiah, to see this man leaping like a gazelle, it's here. Indeed, it's here. And so to the God-man, Jesus is where the glory belongs. To the glorified servant of verse 13. To the holy and righteous one of verse 14. To the author of life in verse 15. To the one greater of Moses in verse 22. Peter gets all the gaze off of this leaping man off of himself as the speaker of these words of power, and he calls everyone to fix their eyes on Jesus. And I contend to you that Peter's intent then is Luke's and the Holy Spirit's intent today, now. Because when we gaze at Jesus, when we see again who He is and what He has done, then indeed we truly see ourselves. Did you hear those words that Peter speaks to these people? He says some pretty harsh things to these folks. You delivered Him over. You denied Him. You killed Him. And he says, yes, you didn't know any better. You acted in ignorance, but you are still responsible. As we sit here this morning broken, harsh words could be said of us. We're just as needy as those people who were listening thousands of years ago. We're just as broken spiritually as that man sitting at that gate. And so Acts 3 and this sermon that Peter proclaims, I think the message to us is once again, fix your eyes on Jesus because He has the power to heal. And that brings us to the second encouragement, to where it's all pointing, to really the heart of Peter's sermon. And so my second encouragement to you today is God wants to bless you in Jesus. God wants to bless you in Jesus. We've already spoken about how the gift that the beggar received was more than he asked for, more than he deserved, greater than he could have ever imagined. And what that man received is just representative of what God wants for you, what God's intent has been all along, all the way back when he chose Abraham. And he said that through you, the families of the earth will be blessed. What does verse 26 say at the end of Peter's sermon? God, having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you 
by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The blessing of Jesus comes to you as it came to this man long ago. Yes, ultimately it comes through the power of God's Spirit working through Peter. But that power comes through faith. The exercise of that power comes through faith. Verse 16, Peter says to the people, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It's interesting to think about that. Whose faith is it? It's not the man's. It's not the man's faith that healed him. The man was looking for money. We don't even know if he was a worshiper of Yahweh. See, it was Peter's faith. It was Peter's confidence in the authority of the name of Jesus. And so when he reached down in the name of Jesus to help this man up, there was no doubt in his mind that his feet and that his ankles would be made strong. He believed Jesus and he was blessed and he could be a blessing. Jesus calls us to the same belief. He calls us to the same trust this morning to believe that His name has the power to heal. As you turn from your sin, as you look to Him. And Peter even talks about the nature of this blessing. It's at least three things. We'll close with this. Three things about this blessing as God wants to bless you in Jesus We could think about him in terms of past, in terms of present, in terms of future. We could think about him in terms of three R's. First, in the past, verse 19, he says, The blessing of Jesus is removal of sin. Right? That's the gospel. Jesus wants to remove your sin, he wants to take your guilt from you. And as far as the east is from the west, he wants to separate you. Separate your sin from you, that God may draw near to you. Do you believe that? But then in verse 20, Peter says, Jesus brings times of refreshment. We can think about this as the present aspect of blessing that comes through Jesus. I think in part this is His Spirit that He gives to His church that He just poured out in power upon the church at Pentecost. It's that Spirit of sonship that confirms you and reminds you and assures you that you are a son and daughter of the Most High, of the King of Kings. And there's no better position that you can have in the universe There's no better identity. There's no greater identity than the fact that you are His child. I was looking through the Heidelberg Catechism, one of these historical documents of our church, and it has a bunch of questions about the Apostles' Creed. 
And the first question, question 26, says, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And the answer is beautiful. The answer is the present blessing that is yours as God wants to bless you in Jesus. It says this, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by His eternal counsel and providence, is my God and my Father because of Christ, His Son. And I trust Him so much that I do not doubt that He will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And He will turn to my good whatever adversity He sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because He is Almighty God. He desires to do this because He is a faithful Father. See, God wants to bless you in Jesus. He wants to bring you times of refreshment. It's not to say that life is always easy or hunky-dory. But you have a father. And you are a son. And you are a daughter. And then in verse 21, what does Peter say is coming? It's the future blessing. Restoration is around the corner Jesus will one day return to make all things right. Justice will come. Peace will reign and righteousness will flourish. And as Romans 8.21 says, creation itself will be set free from its bondage and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The day is coming. It's promised and it's held out for all those who look to Him. All those who fix their gaze on Jesus. The One who wants to bless them. If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, you're not a follower of Jesus, oh, this is what you need. This is who you need. And if you are already His, which I know many of you are, this is what you have. And collectively, we as the church of Jesus Christ, specifically in the book of Acts, this is what we have to give. Silver or gold, have we none. But what I have, I will give to you. And it's better than anything that I could give to you alone. Healing from brokenness, joy and gladness in a restored life, and blessing extending into eternity. Church of Jesus, may God give us the opportunity, may God give us the grace to fix our eyes on Jesus. To call others to do the same. That the nations might be blessed through Him. Amen. Let's pray. Great Father in Heaven, thank You for the Gospel promises that are ours. And oh, how we need to be reminded each week of what You have done for us, what You are doing in us, and what You are preparing for us. Father, I pray that You would take these truths, apply them deeply to our hearts, that they might change us, that they might embolden us, that Your Spirit would use them in us for Your glory. This we pray in the name of Jesus, the risen One who sits at Your right hand, exalted and blessing His people.
Amen.